Testing. Good morning, church. The kids, I believe, are um, ushered, ushered into their kitchen street. And I um, just want to say thank you, Mel. That was so beautiful. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Sister Inez. Um, it means so much that um, we get to be connected to these people, that we get to hear from them specifically what happens when we give. So I just thank them for, for doing that video. We've got a lot to do. And so, you know, when they send us the videos, it really, really helps. Um, I actually did the announcement four years ago after the cyclone design, the hurricane died. Um, that, and I was looking up, um, it affected over three million people in Africa. Um, Southern Africa, specifically in Mozambique, um, over 170,000 homes were demolished. It's a combination of, you know, the concentrated rain, the low, um, terrain, and just the, you know, not super strong infrastructure of the homes. So just, you know, thinking of how beautiful it is that we get to, we get to still um, help because of course that's something that happened four years ago, we're still recovering from it. And I just really appreciate that we get to help. So ways that we get to help, um, if we can show our, our beautiful, if anyone has not seen, please look outside at the, um, at the lobby, there's a table that shows exactly what we can give. Um, our our um, Mozambique global team helped put that together, and it's I just love it. It's so tangible. Yeah. We, if you think that you need to double take and make sure that you're reading this correctly, you have read it correctly. And what I mean by that is you can get you can give um, school uniforms something unique to Mozambique that we don't really have here is you do need school uniforms to go to school. Can you imagine? Like, that's one thing that's keeping someone from education. And with just $25, you can give, um, it will help to support shoes and the dress. It can be the tie, it can be the dress, or The next one is school supplies. School-aged children, $25 gets me not even a backpack. So, you know, we're giving, you know, $25 gives them all of that backpack, five notebooks, all the supplies that they need for essentially the whole school year. And just, just $20. I said, well, not even $25. I feel like I'm an infamous now. <laughs> for the low, low price of $20. Um, and the next is, yeah, again, this is not, this is for real, $10 only, $10 only, that's like two Starbucks drinks. Um, you can get an adult outfit, which is again, shoes, and either a dress, <laughs> I know, I gotta, I, sorry, I'm trying not to be cheesy, it's real, it's great, um, and dress or pant and shirt. So really, really incredible. Um, it's so little of our investment and so much. I believe there's one more. Oh, I must have missed it. Let's see. Oh, the food! The food. Super, super important. Um, so what you 
For a family of four for a whole month, they get rice, beans, flour, cooking oil, sugar, hygiene products. I'm so, so glad um, we included these, um, including all the cooking stuff. We also give hygiene products to the family. A family of four for a month is only $50, and a family of seven is $100. Thank you, Global Team, Tony, everyone who's put in the effort to just organize this so we can if you do. Um, I'll take this. Ah, great question. Um, in order to give, you just go to lifeformose.com. Pop this there. Lifeformose.com. And these lovely, thank you guys. <laughs> have this in life, but don't forget this. Um, so you each got one of these in your pamphlets or on the seat. Um, go ahead and go to that QR code which brings you that one for me. Miss anything else? Alright, if we can, um, I can lead us in prayer for our friends, our Mozambique family. Hi, Daddy. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you that you have such a heart and compassion um, for all of us. And we thank you that we get to be connected um, with those who are geographically so far, but um, really close to us in our hearts. And um, I pray, God, that, you know, we all definitely have bills to pay, we have um, some gifts to give, and I pray that you would um, you would help us align on how we can also get to our brothers and sisters in Mozambique, and not just give, but give with such pleasure and delight um, that we just are so um, grateful to be able to um, set aside some funds that make such a big impact and such a big difference. We pray for um, Al and Mel, Josh and Joey, um, John and Maria, and all the, the um, workers who are doing their good work in Mozambique alongside with us. That you provide for them, that you protect them, Lord, and that you um, would have them just receive such an abundance as we um, do this as a conspiracy. They would receive an abundance of how how your your body is working to um, to care for those in you. I thank you, Lord, for what you will do with the little that we have. Good to be with you all today. Thank you for that, Shirley and Global Team. So appreciate uh, how you guys are leading us in this. Thank you very much for that. <clears throat> hey, I want to uh, I want to give a shout out this morning to Rob Gray, uh, Life Covenant member and amateur cartoonist. Uh, I said a couple weeks ago when we were starting this series that you'll never see a Christmas dragon on your Christmas card. And so uh, Rob went home and made one. 
So look at this. How sweet is that? So I, I'm just going to, I don't know if this is true, but I'm just going to say that he'll be taking orders for next year's Christmas cards if you want to, uh, if you want to get in on this. But I thought that was amazing. I was so tickled by that. Uh, and that's, uh, that's our series that we are doing here during Advent. Uh, the series is not in the nativity scene. Right, so we're looking at some passages, looking at some players in the Christmas story that we might say uh, they didn't make the cut. Right, these these are characters in the story that probably are not on your mantle place. There's probably no little figurines of these next to the shepherds and next to the sheep and all that, and uh, no Christmas carols written about these ones most likely. But uh, if you want to go back, this is where we've been. Uh, so uh, we talked about the Christmas dragon out of Revelation 12. That was fun. Uh, last week we did uh, we did I, I think it's a really important teaching really on on the five women of questionable reputation that are part of the Christmas story and what they tell us about the heart of God. And then um, and then today uh, today we're we're going to talk about another one that's important. It's it's the shaming neighbors. The shaming neighbors we will call them. Probably not in your nativity scene, but they are very much part of the story. Right? And think about it this way. Uh, for Mary and Joseph, Joseph, their, uh, their experience uh, of angels and virgin birth and, and the entire Christmas experience for them, this didn't happen to them on an island. This didn't happen somewhere off away from everybody else. It happened in community. And the things that God were doing, was doing in them had real effects on what their life in that community was going to look like. Not all of the people around them, not all by a long shot, understood what was happening. Not all the people around them believed what was happening. Not all around them were supportive of what God was doing in the midst of their lives. Uh, there were more than a few that looked down on them, that made life hard for them. And uh, this, this is important for us. Uh, for you and I also, friends, for those of us who are, are committed to following Jesus, or if you're thinking about following Jesus, we need to know this is part of it. That we don't live a life of faith that's just sort of me and God and nobody else. It is always a life that is lived in the midst of community. And in that, there will be some that are supportive, but there are going to be those in our lives who are not. Who don't see it, who don't get it, who misunderstand us, who look down on us. This, in fact, Jesus tells us that we can expect that this is part of the Christian experience. This is not a bug, this is a feature. And how do we, as followers of Jesus, how do we learn to live well in a life with Jesus amidst people who aren't always supportive of that and sometimes might even be possible to do that? How do we do that well? That actually is part of Christmas story. And so uh, where we're going this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, one particular episode of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. And there's a couple reminders in there that I think are really helpful for us in terms of how we can be strengthened in the midst of following Jesus, even when uh, we find ourselves the object of our own shame and So let's pray, and we'll look at the text together. 
Father, we pray that this morning, as we worship, that we would do so with full hearts, that we would do so with eyes that are turned towards you. And God, we pray that there would be an openness to us, that your Holy Spirit would be moving in us and among us in such a way that we might be able to receive your word, that it might find good soil, and that it might bear fruit in our lives. And God, likewise, as we receive of the sacraments, as we take in your body and your blood, as we respond to you in song and in prayer, God, we uh, we pray that you would be at work there, that you would be glorified in what you see and what you hear. And God, may all of us be moved closer to Christ as a result. We pray all this in Christ's name. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Divorce here would mean break the engagement. They're not married at this point. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Uh, I think by any measure, the story of Jesus' birth is a pretty amazing one. Uh, Luke's Gospel, if you look at that one, and actually that's where we'll be next week on Christmas Eve, but Luke's Gospel speaks more of Mary's experience. Uh, the angel of the Lord coming to her, explaining how God was going to use her in bringing the Messiah, bringing uh, this long prophesied, foretold Savior into the world. In Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew's telling, he adds that Joseph had a similar visit from an angel, this angel explaining this role that he and Mary shared, and how because of this, the Son of God would enter the world and he would, he would save the people from their sins. The name Jesus, or in, in Hebrew, it's the name Joshua. It's the same name. It means the Lord saves. The angel says, name him this, name him Jesus, name him Yeshua, because he will be the one who saves. But here's the thing, and I'm not sure we always think about this, that uh, we read these stories, and of course God is doing this, this huge thing here. God is at work. But I like to think about what did this mean for the human actors involved in what God is doing? Right? It's God's work, but God's work is almost always through, not around us, friends. It's through us. And what did it look like for the human actors in this? And I think one aspect that we often overlook is that it required them to undergo a tremendous amount of shame, a feeling none of us like, right? If we're going to rank 
feelings we do not like. Shame is going to be one of those that ranks up there very high, and they were going to have to endure an awful lot of it. Think about it this way. So Mary is a virgin, and she's about to have a baby. She and Joseph get a visit from an angel, and everything gets explained. But do you know who didn't get a visit from an angel? Everybody else. Everyone else in their life, everyone else in their community is in a totally different place. They're having a totally different experience of what is going on. And they're, they're, you know, sometimes we have these, these pictures of people who lived in ancient times that, you know, they were more prone to believe in miracles and angels and whatnot. In reality, that's, that's very seldom the case. And ancient people knew every bit as well as we do how babies are made. And that doesn't gel well with the story that Mary and Joseph are telling. Think about this. Just, just to take a couple. Think about Matthew's parents. Right? It says that Matthew took Mary home to be his wife. Now what that means in that culture, most often you are taking that wife home to live in your parents' house. So Mary is living with in-laws that may or may not buy into this whole account of the angel and everything else that has come about for she and Joseph. And they're living in a small town. Culturally speaking, this, this is a culture where they're accustomed to far less privacy than you and I. Everybody knows everything about everyone and they talk about it all the time. This is... Uh, this is the environment that they are having this baby. And people, I mean, they're able to see the belly and they do the math. And Mary and Joseph are, are like, like, no, no, I'm telling you, we didn't actually we never have. And, da, da, da. and the neighbors are like, yeah, right. I'm not believing that one at all. So friends, understand this. Understand what the angel is inviting them into. Right For Joseph here, it's not as simple as him just being like, oh, okay, she didn't cheat on me, that's good news, let's carry on. Yes, that's part of it, but that's just the beginning. Joseph and Mary, they are being invited into this life where if they say yes to God's plans for them, they are saying yes to a life of rumors, of scorn, of dismissal, of being misjudged, of being misunderstood, of being excluded. And we get some hints of these as we read through the Gospels. We see some, we see some of the evidence of this, of how they were regarded, how they were treated. It's a lifetime of whispers from the synagogue women plucking their tongues and shaking their heads when you see Mary and Joseph. It's a lifetime of rumors and a mean-spirited comment one rumor that went around, and I'm sure somebody at one point had to repeat this one to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, I heard it wasn't even you. That it's some Roman soldier was the father of this woman. It's a lifetime of neighbors who don't want to come over for dinner because they don't trust Mary around their husbands or their husbands around Mary. It's, it's young moms who don't want their children playing with little Jesus because his family isn't a good example. And we don't want their influence coming into our home. 
as little kids taunting little Jesus. Your dad isn't really your dad. And I'm sure the names that they had for his mom are all the things that we can imagine they would do. And for that matter, it's not just Jesus. Jesus had at least two brothers who were told in the Gospels and also sisters. They didn't ask for any of this. But they're subject to all the same rumors, all the same taunts, all the same interaction. I, I wonder, I wonder if, if maybe if, if there was a time where, uh, where little brother James or little brother Jude, uh, where they got in a playground fight because of the names that people were saying about their mom or about their big brother. I wonder if Mary ever had moments where she lost it. I wonder if, if Joseph ever lost his temper and just clocked somebody, just just punched someone in the face because he couldn't take it any longer. I, I don't know, but I, I wonder. I wonder, but I don't I don't know if we think about this. Right? Their walk with God didn't happen in the context of a monastery. It, it was in the community. It's it's in and among real people, real family members, uh, co-workers, trying to make their way, trying to make a living, uh, their reputation being affected, all of this has to be part of what we hear. When we hear at Christmas, the angel's announcement to Mary and then the angel's announcement to Joseph that this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to be like for you. So, are you getting a feel for this? Right? It's not in your nativity scene, but it would be kind of fun to put them there. Right? Maybe, so Rob does cartoons. Maybe some of you make little figurines. Give us like some shaming neighbors that I can put next to the, the wise men and the camels in our, our thing. Let's, let's just throw them in there because they are part of the story. And not just for them. Not just for them. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, this is going to be part of your story too. Uh, listen, Jesus said, this is a quote. He said, people are going to hate you because people hate me. Right? You go, wait a minute, who hates Jesus? Right? Everybody loves Jesus. He's the most loving person that ever lived. But all these things we're talking about, scorn and shame and exclusion and being misunderstood and being misjudged, Jesus experienced every one of those, right? And he says, if you follow me, you are going to experience those too. This is a list I've pulled out of the Gospels. This is what Jesus says will happen to you if you are his follower. You are going to be hated. You're going to be reviled. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be marginalized. He says, some people will even think that if they were to kill you, they would be doing God a favor. How's this for a recruitment poster, by the way, right? This is while he's trying to get disciples. This is not a good sales pitch. But friends, if, if we are going to take Jesus seriously, we have to expect that having shaming neighbors is going to be part of our experience too. And the, there's a temptation that comes with that. There's a couple. Right? I think for you and I, there's a temptation, and Mary and Joseph would have had these same temptations too. I mean, one is this, just the temptation to say no. To say, I, I, I'm opting out. I don't think so. Part of what makes 
Mary and Joseph's response so impressive. Or there's there's the temptation to say, well, I'll say yes to Jesus, but I'm just going to go super underground, right? I am going to take my commitment to Jesus, and I am going to hide it. I'm going to bury it so deep. I'm going into witness protection program. Jesus calls to be witnesses. I'm going the other way. Witness protection. We are burying this deep. And then maybe I can keep a little bit of my reputation. I can keep some of my respectability. And I can follow Jesus, but also kind of keep the neighbors on my side. It's not the right response, but it's a temptation for us, right? You feel that. I feel that. I hate the feeling of being a Christian. I hate the feeling of being a Christian. I do everything I can to avoid this. But friends, this is part of following Jesus. It was for Mary and Joseph. It will be for you and I as well. There is no aspect of our lives, our work, our family, our reputation that will go untouched by a commitment to following Jesus. Right? In ways that are beautiful, and positive, and wonderful. And also in ways that are positive. It is going to be part of now this is this is part of what makes Jesus' parents such amazing figures in the story and some wonderful examples for you and I. And look at their responses. So <clears throat> this is Joseph's. We just read it, this is verse twenty-four. It says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. And Mary, you go to Luke chapter one, her reply is is super parallel to his. She says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be. They say yes. Right? That's temptation number one. We're going to say no to God. They say yes. And then as we read through the story, they do so in a way that's very open. Now, note here. Uh, back to Matthew's story. So, what does the angel say? He says to Matthew, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. But note, when he, when he says why, and we're going to come to the why, but note what he doesn't say is the reason for that. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because everything's going to be fine. Or don't be afraid because eventually you'll be vindicated and everyone is going to believe you. Or don't be afraid because it's going to be easy. Or don't be afraid because it's all going to work out. There's none of them. Because they are going to walk through a very real experience of shame and scorn and rejection and exclusion. And now, of course, eventually, is everything going to be good? Yeah. But it's going to be hard. And there's no indication that it would be otherwise. So, Let's be clear here, friends. This isn't, don't be afraid because God is going to shield you from life being difficult. It's something different. And, and this is, this is what we're seeing here. So there's, uh, there's two truths that the angels, uh, the, the angel gives to Matthew here. Um, that I, I think are very strengthening for them and for us as we talk about this experience of enduring shame. For Jesus' sake. Uh, the first is this. 
first thing that Matthew is told is know that God is doing something greater. He's doing something greater. Verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from this. So, this is the first thing the angel says, is that Joseph, there is something much larger than you that is happening here. It's God's Spirit that's doing all this. It's God's Spirit that has caused Mary to become pregnant. It's God's Spirit that is bringing about the birth of the Son, this child that all of Israel has been waiting for and that all the world needs, whether they know yet or not, that they do. It says, the Son that you will raise, that you are going to teach to walk and to talk, that you will teach to read and write, that you will teach to do carpentry like you do carpentry. That you're going to teach God's words to, that you're going to teach all the Jewish parents to. This son, he will go on to save his people from this. Oh, I wonder, I wonder if, if Joseph could have said yes. If the promise was just the son's going to be a joy. Or if the promise was just the son is going to, going to learn to be a carpenter like you are. Or the son is going to... There is something much bigger going on here. God is doing something that's huge. This is you and Mary and her heart. You have been caught up in this larger drama and you are part of this greater something that God is doing. Friends, don't miss this. The angel says, don't be afraid. Not because it's going to be easy, but because it is going to be worth it. God is doing something greater. And in the end, you will be able to look back at this and say, I have no regrets. Because what God is doing is beautiful. And I got to play a small part. What about you? What about me? And the scriptures tell us, if we are to take Jesus at his word, then we have to accept that God has chosen us for His purposes as well. That you, if you find yourself a follower of Christ, you find yourself in God's family, not just for what you can receive. It's not just about heaven when you die. It's not just about forgiveness of sins. It is also about God's purposes for this world. And we see this in the entire arc of Scripture. Go back as far if you want as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham where he says to him, you are going to be blessed. And all the world is going to be blessed with you. We hear the same promise to followers of Jesus in the New Testament. And he says to them, you will be my disciples. You will be my apprentices. And you will go and you will make disciples of all things. 
They are going to be blessed through you. God's work did not stop with Mary and Joseph. And that word, that word that it will be worth it because of what God is doing, is true for your life as well. Can you receive that then? Can you receive that? That even if now you have to endure shame, the time is coming where you will say, I will be Because God is. God is Ephesians 2.10 We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God already knows how He intends to use you. Can you receive that in living into that and saying yes to Him, that it will be good. I, uh, I shared a whole bunch of like neighbor stories a couple weeks ago. Um, I forget which week. I'll tell you go back and listen for reference if you missed it. But um, I, I don't want to retell them, but I just want to add this as kind of a footnote to them. I, I was thinking about this. We've had really cool ways where in the 20 plus years of living where we live, we've seen God work in the community around us. Uh, but I was thinking about it this week, and almost every single one of those starts with schooling. Right? Almost every single one starts with us not being <laughs> regarded well by our neighbors, or being misjudged, or being misunderstood. It has been part of the story too. I'm betting it's been part of you. This is this is part of the reality, friends, that you and I are living into. Following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you reputation. Following Jesus may very well affect your work. Following Jesus is going to have a cost. Right? There's a benefit too. There's, this is getting really dark, I realize it's getting but um, <laughs> there is good news as well. We gain a greater family, we gain greater purpose, we gain tremendous joy, we gain peace. There's a ton that we gain. But this morning is about being real about the gospel. But what the gospels tell us is that it is going to be good. It will not be easy, but it will be good because of the greater things that God has That's one. Second is this. It's to know that when God speaks, you can be trusted. Right? A word from God is a word that you can trust. Now, Joseph, his story again, Matthew 1. So Joseph got a word from God through the angel as we, we just read. Uh, but also... As, as Matthew's Gospel points out, that, but also he got a word through the Scriptures too. Verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Joseph, he got a very specific word in his encounter with the angel. And Matthew is pointing out that this coincided with a word that he actually had already. 
a word that existed for centuries already that God had spoken that came to bear uh, in the situation that Matthew found himself in. And I, I think it's important, important to point out both of these because um, it might be easy for you and I to sit here and say, well, sure. Matthew could endure a life that involved a lot of shame in, in following God because he got a word from an angel. An angel showed up and said to him, hey man, this is the story, God has spoken, go do the thing, right? And I'd be confident too if God sent an angel to my say. But think about this for a second. Would you? If an angel appeared to you in a dream, would you actually be confident that God is speaking to you? I'm not sure I would. I, uh, I don't know. I think I would probably be dealing with a lot more of, was that God or was that me? Right? I'd be kind of like Ebenezer Scrooge, right? The ghost comes to him and he's like, mm, I'm not sure. You could be a figment of my imagination. You could be a bit of undercooked potato. That would totally, totally be me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I have had exactly one dream in my lifetime that I'm convinced was God, was God speaking to me. But I have wondered at times, have there actually been more? And I just sort of miss them because I'm like, nah, there, no, there's no way. That wasn't God speaking. Maybe God has had to find other ways to speak. It's significant to me that Joseph experiences both. There's, there's what we might say is a subjective word from God through the dream to the angel. And there's what we might say is a more objective word from God through the scriptures. And these two match up. And while I don't have a, a history of God speaking to me a lot in dreams, uh, I do have, and I know some, some of you have as well, really kind of an expectation that as I come to God in prayer and in the scriptures, that there's going to be a guidance that happens there, that there is going to be an interaction that God is going to speak. And I have a lot of that in my history, and maybe you have a lot of that or a little of that in yours as well. But I, I think it's, it's very important for us as we're considering what does it look like for God to speak to me. And this, this is like a whole series on itself, right? But it's the thought here. If we consider, what does it look like for God to speak to me? We're reminded in Matthew's Gospel that it always fits with God's Word in a way where we can say, yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Yes, that fits. And I, I say this from a pastoral place, too, as one who's sat with many folks over the years who are explaining to me how they're entering into something that is, is unquestionably an area of sin, but they're telling me, well, I've prayed about it. And I think I've heard from God, and I, I have peace about this. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and leave my family, and I'm going to be with this person who's truly my soulmate, whatever the peace may be. And I, as pastor, stand across from them saying, with all due respect, you've heard from God before. There's always a congruence. There's always a congruence between these things. When we, uh, when we consider this, friends, right, this idea 
these two parts real. But this idea that God is doing something greater and this idea that when God speaks to us, we can trust that word. And again, the temptation here, when we're talking about avoiding scorn and shame from those around us, the temptation is maybe to be a pleaser. Right? To say, maybe I can follow Jesus in a way that the world around me is going to find this And I, I tell you, that is a losing battle. Whoever it is that we're trying to appease. And be sure of this, whoever it is that you're most worried about disappointing, that you're most worried about, uh, about letting down or having them look down on you, that's the temptation that we need to I am, um, some of you know this, but I, I try to, to take my news from a variety of sources that kind of span the ideological spectrum. Uh, one of those is I, I read the New York Times every month. And um, if you ever read in the comments section of the New York Times, if anyone ever dared to do that, I'm talking the online version now. If you read the comments section, Christians are these Eyes. There is there is a belittling and a dismissiveness uh, among the readership of that publication that is jaw dropping at times. A little regard there is for followers of Christ. If you or I are living our lives in a way that we're trying to appease that segment of those people in our lives, it will never. You cannot, without either saying no to Jesus or being so deeply underground as a Christian that they don't know who you are or what you believe, you cannot do it. And on the other side, I, I read and hear some, you know, some publications where uh, if there is the smallest hint of concern by a Christian in matters of race, matters of poverty, matters of immigration, the smallest whisper of it, you immediately be labeled as somebody who has gone woke and can no longer be trusted, etc., etc. Any attempt to appease that segment of people in your life, it will not be fruitful. You're either going to have to say no to Jesus, or you are going to have to bury your beliefs so deep that nobody knows. Friends, Jesus calls us something different. He calls us to say yes in the way that Mary and Joseph have, to endure the shame that comes along with us. And be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, two figures that I've, I've become a huge fan of over the last handful of years. Uh, a woman named Beth Moore, who is a, a pretty famous Bible teacher, and then a fellow named Russell Moore, who uh, at the time that I started following him, was head of the ethics committee for the Southern Baptist denomination. Uh, no relation between the two Moors, by the way, um, other than the fact that they're both part of the same theological party, Southern Baptist. I don't, I don't have a, a lot of overlap with that wing of the Christian church typically, but these two have been so impressive. Uh, the long story short on them, and maybe Google it up if you're interested to know what you see. Uh, but both of them uh, took a very strong stand in 2016 when Donald Trump was running for president. Uh, 
saying to the fellow Southern Baptists, there's a lot wrong with this. Neither of them were saying the other side has it all together. Neither of them was saying you should never enter any circumstance. Vote for him. They're just saying, dude, we've got to be really honest about some of the things that are being said, some of the things that are being done. And both of them, at the end of the day, ended up being exiled from their tribes as a result. Uh, neither are Southern Baptists anymore. They have thrown out of their Following Jesus, following Jesus always means that we are going to upset some. There are going to be some to your left who look at you and go, nope. You are out of the club, pal. If you don't hold to this, this, and this, yeah. And there are going to be some to your right to say, nope, you're not on board with this person, with this policy, with this. And you're going to Following Jesus always means that there's going to be shame penalty And you and I are going to have to think about what it means for us to follow Jesus under that kind Our ultimate model for this, friends, is Jesus. He was also scorned, also shamed, misunderstood, mischaracterized. He sang a line this morning, Mark, that I'd, I'd never heard before in one of those hymns. But Jesus was bearing our shame and stopping you. Right? He bore shame for us on the cross. And he endured the insults of his Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Jesus' response to shame as others are putting it on him. He scorns it. He dismisses it. He shames the shame. No, I'm not going to let that rest on him. He scorns the shame for the joy set before him. Or, put it a few minutes ago, because of what God is doing, because of what comes, it's worth it. He scorns the shame. And then we're encouraged, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary. And Jesus has done their own Jesus has endured shame. And He will strengthen us. He will strengthen us. To follow when that becomes our experience. It will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. And we can always trust the Word. Let's pray together.